As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi guys, my name is Tamika Newhouse, best-selling author of Sugar Hill and the publisher of Delphine Publications, and you are tuned to Traces of Mika Season 2, The Other Side of Healing. What's up, y'all? My name is Nicola Mitchell. I am the founder, CEO of Girls Who Brunch Tour, and best-selling author and publisher. And I am here for season two of Traces of Mika. I am so freaking excited, friend. I am so proud of you. Well, I'm I'm, I'm kind of excited but nervous at the same time. But I'm excited to get to season two because season one was um, it was exploratory. I guess I, I really kind of had to test the waters and and kind of get my footing with it, and ex- I was exposing some stuff. So hmm. I guess the only way now is to kind of go up and take right. this to the next level. So the conversations that we're going to have during season two is going to be somewhat intense, but, you know, funny, too, I'm hoping. But everybody's going to kind of laugh and learn something, I'm, I'm hoping. Okay. You know, so Trace is Mika, and people may wonder, okay, well, who's Mika? Yeah, who are you? Um, <laughs> but uh, for those who do not know, my name is Tamika Newhouse. I am an author. I'm a publisher, a mother, um, a creative, a visionary, a friend, a sister, a daughter. All all these things embody who I am. And Traces of Mika is my memoir pod where I have these unscripted conversations with friends, uh, mentors, former flames. And we talk about all kinds of stuff. Mm, yeah. Former flames. Yeah, former flames. I think I want to have a, a, a former flame on this season. I just want to be in the back when you. Record. Hey, hey, <laughs> be in the back, be in the front. Everybody gonna see it at this point. But uh, I think having these type of conversations that where people um, kind of evaluate their choices mm-hmm. um, is needed. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's needed a little bit. You know, get some healing going on and laugh a little bit. Uh, Get some accountability, you know, in this thing, and and then live happy. That's the point. Just be happy. So yeah. So. So like with this being season two, what is your action plan? Like you know, you're like a perfectionist. You write everything out. You calculate it out. Like, what is your plan of action for season two? What you want the audience and people to get from it? Well, the the whole thing for season two is the other side of healing. Okay. So in season one, I revealed um, a lot of things about my own mental health, mm-hmm. um, about uh, past traumas, growing up and understanding my childhood, my mother. Um, I had an, a, an open, 
uh, dialogue with my mom on Traces of, of Mika season one. And I now want to kind of dive into the other side of healing. I've talked about it. I'm aware of uh, my trauma, my, my past mistakes, um, my past triumphs. Um, and now it's, it's time to kind of move forward. So this is the other side of healing. Yeah. I like that. Thanks. I know where to clap at. I know, do, do, right? Do, do, do. Right. working. I know. Right. Like, it was <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, let's, let's dive into, um. Why are we here today? Yeah. So, um, the, the conversation is, may get a little bit, um, uncomfortable, but I wanted to talk about single parenting yeah. and specifically for women like us where we, we did it all. We mm-hmm. took care of our children. We nurtured our children. Um, we taught our children. We took them on the road with us. Uh, we shared our dreams with our children. And then not only that, we both individually had our own dark private moments. Mm-hmm. And um, just talking to my son the other day, he was he likes to distra- describe me as strong. And I, I, I'm starting to hate that word. I hate that word. I, I, I'm starting to like just to really, because I don't want to be strong all the time. I don't want to just have to, I don't want to have it together all the time where I have to figure it out or there's nowhere else to turn to, whether it's emotionally, financially, spiritually, physically, right. and I have to figure it all out on my own. Right. And my son called me strong like it was a badge of honor. And um, I don't know how I feel about that. You know, I, I know he didn't mean anything by it. But yeah, it's um, for 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 black women, we have this image that we are the strong, you know, group of individuals, and we can right. just take everything. And I'm I'm tired of that. I'm tired of us having to carry the burden of everything, and I'm definitely tired of our black men not protecting us or not being great partners at that. And where we have to be strong, like a lot of us have to be strong, and then we have these moments where we crumble sometimes. So. I want to talk about that. Um, talk about single motherhood. My journey as a mother. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm honored that you want to include me in this conversation, especially the subject matter. Right. Because the day we talked about it, my daughter said to me, she has a high expectation on what motherhood is because of me. Right. And when you just said that about Junior, it's like, you know, we work so hard to just be a better parent than what we thought we had and what we were lacking. But sometimes they forget that we are just women. We're just women. I'm just, I'm, I'm just You're a girl. A woman. Yeah. And then I became uh, a mother at, at 16. So mm-hmm. discovering myself, um, I had to do it while trying to teach and, and, and keep my children safe. Yeah. And, I, and for the most part, for the better part of it, I did it all by myself. Yeah. Not the not the greatest and funnest thing to do. Right. Well, it's not fun. Parenting is not fun. It's not a fun activity. It's not something that I would just pe- tell people just to go into um, without really processing what it would take. Um, and I think that I love my children so much where, you know, I think a lot of us kind of do, we kind of process and overanalyze and we want our children to make the right decision. We right. want them to be around the right people. Right. Um, we don't want them to be taken advantage of. We don't want them, their, their bodies to be violated, their right. minds to be violated. And um, I have, I've dealt with my own you know, trauma to where I did not want my children to go through the same things as me. Right. So I had my way of doing that, uh, of going about protecting them or teaching them and 
So that's what we're going to dive into today. Okay. Yeah. So tell us about your kids. Like, who well, are your kids? Junior. I have now, my, my, my son, Junior, is 13. Mm-hmm. My daughter, Deja, is 17. Okay. And that's it. I ain't have no more. Girl. I don't want no more. That's enough. I'm at the finish line with as far as them being minors almost. Um, but I realize it's actually um it's it's, it's not easier. No. Because when they get older, they're not technically in my face every day. They're not in my, my space. I can't control their day to day. Yeah. And so now I'm just thinking, dang, did I did I do enough? You know, did I did I show them the way enough? You know, are they able or they're capable of uh, making sound decisions? Are they going to be safe? So I'm trying to not make myself go crazy over that. Um, but I probably will be thinking that until the day I die, to be honest. Well, Sheesh. it's just like a job. Like after It a is a job. Certain point, <laughs> Except you don't get paid. <laughs> you give instruction when you're the leader. But then after that, your employees got to show you that they're doing what you taught them. Yep. And that's where you're at right now. You're guiding out. And you gave them and projected everything into them. Now it was their turn to put that learning and that teaching and implement that in their lifestyle. Yep. And I think you do a great job with that, especially like with Deja. You know, like she's part of my organization. You know, again, I'm the founder of Girls Who Brunch Tour, shameless plug. And with Girls Who Brunch, we take girls ages 9 through 17 across the country. We have serviced um, 16,000 girls mm. as of date, girl. And um, congratulations on that, by the way. I've, I've been seeing you build Girls Who Brunch, the vision of that, five, six years now? Five years. And um, you've done an excellent job. Like, I, I feel that. And of course, you know, we've had our private conversations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're building something and it's your baby, um, you cry, you, you know, you lose sleep over it. Um, um, it's on your mind heavy because it's like a baby that you're that you're birthing in. I think you've done a great job with that. Sixteen thousand girls—that's a lot. That's very impactful. And now you are making an impact with organizations and brands. Yeah. Much, much, much bigger. So yeah. you're expanding, you're growing. So I'm proud of you. Well, thank you, friend. And I'm thankful that you allowed Deja to work with us. She's been with yeah. me since day one. Yeah. You know. Deja had maybe since about 13, 14, or maybe even younger than that. She yeah, about 12, 12, yeah. 13. Deja has been involved and exposed to girls who brunch because I wanted her to um to see other women and other girls that looked like her. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, with, with that organization, you you work with girls who have been, you know, abandoned, who have been violated physically, mentally, or they don't have any parents, they don't have guidance. And um, my daughter, she didn't experience that. She, mm-hmm. she didn't experience none of that. She had a mother there every day. She has a father that loves her and talks to her every day. Um, she has a brother that loves her, and she's never been without yeah. And I wanted her to be, you know, be exposed to um, people that's not as fortunate right. as her. Yeah. And over the years, I can honestly say Deja has grown and I have positioned her to be like a leader. Yes. So with that being said, um, like when we were in Houston last year, she came all the way from Dallas. She was on the panel. She had grown people crying. I called you after Yeah, I, I like, remember that. Yeah. She had these folks crying, and I am so proud of her. So 
when we had the opportunity to have her on the panel with the actress Kat Graham. Mm -hmm. And it, we took six, four girls from across the nation and I felt like I wanted my leaders to be there and mm -hmm. my pro-black leaders at that because the topic was on, it was in terms of uh, hair care, self-esteem, things like that. I felt like she would be a great influence to the black girls in our community. Yeah. So when Deja got up there, she kind of threw me off. She threw me off too. <laughs> <laughs> and so I guess, um, well, let's, let's just play the clip. Let's, uh, let's let everybody see uh, Deja speaking on the panel. Yeah. Yeah. My parents split up before they got divorced. So the, so the relationship is kind of complicated. The story is kind of complicated. It's all over the place. But I, as most children do, stayed with their mother and their father left. And being... A single mother, I guess, is like a lot of like a lot of pressure. So obviously, when you're a child, because I was like eleven at the time, you don't understand where your father went and and why your mother's being so angry. But uh, growing up, I wasn't like a a, a fast speaker. So uh, there'll be times when my mother would call me stupid, uh, retarded the slowest kid in the world uh, and it just made me feel like well maybe I am why my mother lied to me so it was times where I was just really thinking like I, I was just stupid and it was like confidence degrading so um, it took myself to get at that because I was like no matter how much I would tell my mother to like not do that, she would continue to do so, I guess when she was frustrated because she is a CEO of a lot of things and she was a single mother, so I guess it's, it was like a lot of stress, so yeah, I have dealt with the uh, confidence degrading in a single parent home, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think Okay, so I'm, I'm, I have to cut that off a little bit. Watching that is ugh. Right. Oh, friend. So number one, before we even go into the film, like they just got back home before the tapings. I thought she was still in Dallas, but right. she told me that she was here when we were doing the rehearsal. How do you feel about having them home, first of all? And then in the same breath, how do you feel after watching that? Um, having them home, um, and for you know, for those who do not not know, last summer I went through a really really dark time, and it's probably maybe over it was like a year or so, just dealing with a lot of different stuff intensely, and um, I stepped away from everything, and that and that include day to day parenting. Um, packed up my kids' stuff, dropped their ass off in Texas, and then I kept driving to California. <laughs> Real talk. She did that, y'all. I was like, what? I'm like, I couldn't do it no more. I just couldn't do it no more. But 
Um, having them, and I, I guess we'll, we'll go into why, um, but having them back home, I, I love when I see my children. I love when when I get to feel them and I get right. to see them in the flesh because it's, it's, it's almost like um, it's, it's something rare. And then they look like me. Exactly. So I get excited. I got, those my kids. You know, I brag about my children all the time. I think my children have grown up to be extraordinary individuals. They articulate well. They're very smart. Deja, she uh, speaks two languages, like Korean. Like, who speaks Korean? Um, my son reads on a college level, and he was reading on a college level at nine, ten years old. He knew the states, y'all. Yeah, he was seven. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that didn't come from them somehow finding it on their own, like Deja said in the clip. You didn't get there on your own. You got there through a, a mother that was very, very strict with grades, um, strict with being disciplined, um, and strict with being accountable, right. you know, for yourself. So that's why my children have these great characteristics about themselves. Um, and so having them home, uh, it was, it's great. I mean, it's, it's a balance, like, because, you know, it's kind of like riding a bike. You remember how to be a mother. Like, you do the, the day-to-day um, duties of a mother. All right. right. So... I jump right back into it. Watching that clip, because I, I saw it for the first time a couple weeks ago. Mm. It's almost it's disgusting in my it's it's, but that's just how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. That is my daughter's experience, and so that for her, that's her reality. So me and her talked about it, and. Um, I want to kind of get her to kind of see why is this your reality and why do you feel this way? And granted, I wasn't the the most bubbly mother, um, but yeah, I want to I want to talk about we have we have to talk about what she said because it was, you know, she said it openly for everybody to hear. So, and that's really not true. It's 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 actually not factual, but it is her perception and it is how she received certain things. Yeah, like when I watched it, sitting in the background watching it, it threw me off. Like I watched it and I'm like, huh? You know, she sounded like an abuse, like we need to call the CPS hotline for her child. And now you have disciplined her, you have yelled at her. And there was an occasion that the word stupid was out there, but it wasn't calling her stupid. It was the thing that she did. That she did. And I recall, because we had that conversation, I had the conversation with her and her brother, and they told me their feelings, and then I said, "Um, what is the problem? And that is going to lead into this next segment part, because the problem really is, what she told me is that you are the disciplinarian, and you are the parent, and she loves you. Right. But their dad is the fun person, and he's their friend. Right. And so I was like, okay, if that situation would have happened with your father, how would he have handled it? Right? Right. She didn't have an answer. Because he, not to knock their dad, but sometimes just to knock him. Um, There's a difference from being a parent and then being a friend. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, mothers... Who are single? That are single mothers at that, and doing mm-hmm. it on their own. They don't get the the chance to be both. No. 
Um, and my my situation was quite unique because as Deja states in the video, she talks about uh, my marriage and my divorce was all over the place. You know, it was just a mess or whatever the case may be. But that's actually not true. And she knows that it's not. Um, it's, it's interesting that she kind of speaks about the dynamic of her family breaking up in that way. It's kind of like it was just all on me. And then like being a CEO was such a hard thing. Actually being a CEO was actually pretty easy because it's something I can, can control. Um, it's something I was really, really good at. And then I didn't have someone on the other side um, for the most part right. trying to destroy what I was creating. And um, with parenting, uh, my marriage ended um, and I've never talked about this. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, mm. <laughs> so I came into the industry married. One day I wasn't. Yeah. I came into the industry posting about my marriage, um, posting with my husband. We traveling doing this. And then one day I wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, I've dated people in the industry. I've dated people outside the industry. And people always, some people try to figure out, well, what's going on? Yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Well, my, my marriage ended um, because my husband at the time was convicted of raping another woman. Mm -hmm. um, and my husband also was a repeated adulterer. This wasn't the first time that he had been with somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, and in the midst of the, the, the rape trial going on, I stood by him. I stayed there. Um, I was supportive. Um, and then even when he was convicted, um, I was there. I was the only one in his Man. family that visited him. Um, I was the only one um, she was there, besides for his mom um, who came during the trial period. But when he was going through prison and uh, or with, and when he was in confinement because he got convicted, um, uh, through the military. He was a, a military man. He fought two wars. Mm -hmm. You know, he was, he went to the Iraqi war. He was one of those, um, those individuals where he fought for the country and, um, he got convicted of rape and that really destroyed, um, more of whatever it is that we, we could be. Yeah. But remind you, I met this man when I was 14. So it's, um, can we, is there anything we can interject to maybe say like the war or something fucked them up? Like, cause it's like, it was like negative, 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 negative. Like it got like super, super dark. I just want it, want it to be something that I can be like, but yeah, like, I mean, like war fucks you up or so, something to have, not excuse his behavior, but just. I don't think the war fucked The war didn't up. fuck him up though. No. But, is there anything we could say to be like, not as, that, like, it went super dark, and then there's like, that's no what it was. That's what it was. Sheesh. He even went back to start fucking. Well, yeah, that's, okay. All right. So, even when Bread Man, who I love, Uncle Marcus, he's always gonna be my Uncle Marcus, oh God, you know? Uncle Marcus. <laughs> but, sis, I mean, Tamika, from what you've learned from her in the first trace of Mika, Tamika used to tell all these stories and write these stories and she kind of like try to create her life so even through all this darkness I, I mean that's when i gained the most respect from you because i watched you plan for his release i watched you plan a disney trip for these children i watched you plan a look like an abc commercial of the war vet coming home from war but he was coming home from prison yeah in his military gear to go greet the children I don't even yeah. think the kids knew that he was in jail at that time. 
They didn't. So what I did with my my, my son was about three or four. Mm-hmm. Deja was about seven um, when he was, you know, convicted. And I, I lied. Mm-hmm. I told him that he was off to war again. Because what else am I supposed to say? What am I supposed, what am I supposed to do in that situation? Even then, if I would have said, Daddy did this. And this is why daddy's not here. They still wouldn't understand they're still their dad. So it really, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. Right. As you can see, even right. to this day, it still really doesn't matter. And it's, they're not supposed to not love him. Right. Um, but you're not supposed to, to kind of hate me in the process. But we can kind of, we'll get to that part. Um, but so it was, it was maybe four years um, but before my, my children actually knew why me and their dad actually weren't together. And the reason why I chose to um to to be there for him, and even after he was convicted, um, and he came home, I allowed him to stay in my in my house. Even though yes, we were still married and all that jazz, but we were not together. I did not want to be in this marriage, but I'm I never do the same thing that people do to me. I cannot leave you hanging. I cannot leave you high and dry. And again, known this man since I was 14. That's family. Even to this day, that's family. But family be the main people that will use you, mistreat you, abuse you, and then make you feel like you're like you are required to do these things for them. And I think that uh, me uh, being as helpful as I was, he began to expect these certain things. Yeah. So two years will go by, he's still sleeping on my couch, not doing anything. Literally doing nothing. Um, and then using, you know, circumstances or life as an excuse to not, but I mean, you can at least get up and help around the house. <laughs> you can do that part. Or you can at least help with the, the children or something a little bit. And, and I, I went through like a really dark, um, a dark, dark period, a dark time because everybody was happy in that house but me. Yeah. I was the only one financing, working, um, then disciplining the children. I was always a disciplinary. Um, making sure that the children had a great home, a great school, and then all the while he just does nothing. It was quite frustrating. And then uh, when I was done, you know, with that part, saying, okay, I'm not I'm not helping you anymore. You cannot stay in this house. Um, that's when the bullshit started, when I started saying no. Yeah, and I can honestly say, like, she really tried, y'all, to, like, give this man against cookie cutter storybook lady she moved him across you know out of state to give him a new life to have a new circumstance and it was just things that just kept happening so I watched her change and one day she just told me you know and then she gave him a great parting gift like what woman gives you money to leave a car to leave do all this stuff she did all that just so he can be okay be okay and gain independence gain some type of independence without the help of me a woman that didn't that wants nothing to do with you but it was always like this this guilt trip that he would that he would play and then he's so great with the children. He's he loves on them. He's their friend. Yeah, he's phenomenal. And I never had the opportunity to be their friend because I never had a really great strong partner where I can balance out that space. I always had to just carry everything, and I just got I I, I was striking out with everything. Right. I even when we got to Georgia, and you know when you convicted of that type of crime, you're now you have to be registered. 
And I, you know, I would ask this, my husband, hey, make sure, you know, this is done. They're like giving him certain things to do and making sure that our dress is in compliance with the state. Never did that. So what did I have to do, Nick? Move. I had to move. I got find kicked out. Money. Yeah, move. And I had to find money because he got us kicked out. Yeah. Then, before I moved to the next place, um, he still didn't make sure mm -hmm. that he could stay there. And um, I said, all right, I'm going to give you one more chance to get this right. So then what did I have to do, Nick? Move again. And I had to use my address. And then people came to my door. <laughs> yeah, so when you when you, when you register, like, the, the police can come knock on your door whenever. Yes. Boom, 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 boom. In the middle of the night. And they was they was banging on your door in the middle of the night. And I appreciate you. I, I thank you so much for even helping him in that space where he could stay with his family even longer because we didn't have to do that. You did not have to disrupt your life. You didn't have to disrupt your space mm -hmm. and your home so that he could have a, a you know a registered address and be yeah. close to his children. Yeah. Um, it was just those repeated things that we just kept trying to help and create some type of avenue or some type of door so that he can be close to the children. And it just wasn't working because if I wasn't doing it or if somebody else that I knew wasn't helping, then nothing would get done. And I was just tired. I really wanted to move on. I wanted to be happy. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to, you know, to, to brag on my partner, root him on, be excited about him. And I'm being offered nothing with this person, but like, I'm just like another child. I had three children, basically. Um, yeah. And so with me not being honest with my children about why me and their dad are not together, they had to uh, assume why. And then when their dad was out of the house, he strategically, um, whenever he could, he put the blame on me. Um, if he couldn't fly back to, to Georgia to see his children, he would tell the children, well, if your mom doesn't pay for me to come, then I'm not coming. Um, and then my children would get mad at me. Well, mom, why don't you just pay for dad to come? And I just, it, it wasn't fair. It was not fair. Like you gotta, like at some point, when are you going to help? When are you going to do your part? It's right. not up to me. I didn't, I didn't do the crime. <laughs> I, didn't, well, I didn't do it. I think though, because see, we, that baby boy movie, that baby boy syndrome, that women always fix it like their mother yeah. do you think that because you gave that to marcus you gave yeah. him money to leave you gave him a car you did all this stuff you moved him to georgia you took care of all this stuff you had him in my house you did everything to take care of him so when you stopped and now he's still kicking and screaming like a child would when their parent is not doing what they want him to do. Do you think that is what affected your co-parenting? Like, tell us about how was it to co-parent after that? Because when you guys were, when you were doing what he wanted, it's like Beyonce. As long as I say, it's like I never said, you know, as long as I say yes, you know, the first time I say no, it's like I never say yes. So right. do you think that is what, change the dynamics of your co-parenting? Um, absolutely. Because Deja um, is is a, a daddy's girl. She loves her dad to death. And I know that my children love their dad. Like I'm I'm all these great things, but I lack the emotional right. and the nurturing part. Right. I didn't grow up 
doing, getting all of that. And, and that wasn't a problem because I didn't know that was missing. Right. There was a certain way that I was raised. Right. And we didn't do the hugging and the family dinners and things like that. We didn't do that. Right. And um, there was other ways my mother showed love and affection. She was always there. She showed up to every track meet. Anytime um, I needed a listening ear, she was there. She showed me that she loved me in different ways. And that's what I did with my children. Right. But I'm also a disciplinary. Mm -hmm. I also require greatness because I require greatness in myself. And it, it probably came off, not probably, it came off harsh in those early years when their dad first left the home. Um, with their dad in one ear saying, you know, I want to come back home. Yeah. Um, I wish mama would just let me come back home. And on the, this side, I just, I'm, I'm finally free. I can walk around my house and, you know, I can go and date. And, you know, I can, I can move forward. Mm -hmm. And I can be free and I can breathe. But my children, they were angry. Right. Going back to, because I really want to address and make sure that I don't, you know, fall off of what Deja said in her video clip because that still is her truth and that's her reality. Mm -hmm. And I want to dive into that a little bit. Um, Co-parenting with with my ex-husband was non-existent. Mm -hmm. If I didn't fund it or um, if I didn't put them together in the same space, it would never happen. And if I didn't do it, I was the bad guy. He was never required to do anything. And I played a big part in that because I'm, I'm, I give, I'm a giver. And I gave him a lot, continuously, yeah. um, to the point where it was expected. And if I didn't do it, that was, that was a problem. Mm. He would do the guilt trip. And then when I stopped caring, he did the guilt trip with our children. And because nothing was explained to the children on my end, they figured, oh, daddy must be right. What daddy is saying is correct. So I honest, uh, honestly, I never had a fair chance um, for my children to like me. Granted, we want to be liked. I want to be liked. Loving is one thing, because you, you can love people that you don't like. But I want to be liked by my children, but I never had a fair chance to be liked simply because I was, the, I was put, the, the, the blame was on me. It was my fault. Right. So do you think, well, you're saying that the blame game caused the friction with you and your children, right? Yeah. But how do you feel that that amplified your decision-making in terms of emotionally, spiritually, financially when it came to the kids? It worsens um, my communication with them because I was frustrated. I was upset, I was sad, I was lonely. Um, and I was just, I was overall, I just wanted my children to just be like, just be here with me. Just understand why dad is not, dad just isn't here and that's okay. But I'm here and you can talk and call your dad anytime. But it didn't work out that way and it was never easy that way. My children would then uh, do things towards me and um, you witnesses. <laughs> so it wasn't for, if my ex-husband wasn't um, asking for money or placing the blame on me um, or manipulating his own children by telling his children about all his problems 
or telling his children, if I don't do it, then it's not going to be done. Um, then my children would, they would turn around, they would say all these other things. Junior was maybe five or six at the time. Um, he will go to school. He would act out. Man. And when I say act out, Junior will run out to school where they would have to shut the school down. Tore up the principal's Tore up office. the principal's office. I mean, I violated the whole office. Just destroyed it. Um, and then um, fought the police. So I remember when I um, I showed up and the police officer was bloody. His All of his arms were bloody. And Junior hid underneath the couch at his at the principal's office. And I was begging Junior. I was like, Junior, please come out. Just come talk to me. Just just come out. What's, what's going on? And obviously, these folks looking at me like, why is this child acting like this? Is something mm-hmm. going on at home? Yeah. What is she doing to this child? Yeah. And I called their, their dad on the phone, and I was like, Marcus, can you please talk to Junior and tell him to come out? Tell him it's okay. Just tell him that you love him. Can you just stop saying all these other things so that he can just be all right? He, he can stop doing all this extra shit. He got on the phone with him. I don't know what he said to him, but Junior eventually came out. But Junior did not see his dad for months after that. He still did not come and see him. Never came. He would never come and see them. Never came and see about them. Unless I brought them. Brought him to to his children. And then when I would bring him to the children, he would say, well, I don't have anywhere to stay. I don't have anywhere to go. And I'd be like, okay, we can just sleep on the couch. But then he'll be in my home trying to make his way to my room. So then I have to barricade myself in my room. I remember one day calling you on the phone. And I was like, Nick, I just need you to stay on the phone with me. Mm-hmm. Because I think this is going to be the night that he's going to do something. It was very... Passion and love makes people do crazy things. Mm-hmm. I have, over the years, experienced horrible encounters with this man. That has nothing to do with my children, though. So I've never told my children, don't dislike your dad, don't talk to your dad, because my experiences with him is just that. Right. I didn't have a dad. Like I didn't grow up knowing my dad and having connections. So I didn't want that with my children. But he would utilize me wanting him to have a relationship with his children as a way to continue to penetrate my space. Right. And I remember this night, I, I had you stay on the phone with me. Yeah. I text you my address because I just moved to a new home. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, here's my address. If you don't hear from me, if you if if I don't pick up, and five within ten minutes, something like that, call nine one one and then make your way over here. Mm-hmm. And I'm embarrassed. I've locked myself in my room and I went to sleep. He was on the phone. And we stayed on the phone for a little bit, and then we finally kind of got off. And then you checked on me the next morning. Um, but that was my reality. There was other times where physical fights, physical altercations, like it was. Yeah. Just wasn't the. He wasn't a great husband. I remember that too. Doesn't mean he's not a great father. Right. Wasn't a great husband. Right. And the co-parenting, it was just, it was more so he wanted to be their their friend and he wanted to be loved and he wanted to be liked because he wasn't here. It's hard to discipline your children when you're not physically there and when you're not actually taking care of them. You don't feed them. You don't clothe them. um, You don't put a roof over their head. So the only other option is is to be nice. Right. But he could have did that without throwing me under the bus or saying lies. Um, yeah, so co-parenting with him was non-existent, basically. 
Yeah, and I believe just from the outside looking in that all the blame game and things that was going on in his head, he thought if he guilt tripped you through the children, that that was going to make you allow him to come back. But because I told you that I was like, you're just going to have to let them quit seeing them. And you're like, no, that's their dad. But it, it was getting too intense for you. And mm -hmm. I think that guilt trip just gotten so intense that now Deja, I don't think she hates you, but I think she hates that you don't allow him to be here. And so because that was another time like folks y'all don't know like it was so many times she would bring the children to my house um he came into town that has nothing to do with the kids he's trying to make her be let him back in the house and Deja was just like she just need to let him come back home I remember she was on my couch telling my dad that and my dad was like well what do you want him to do? You know, you want yeah, your dad's going to get a job. He's going to come out here. And she was like, no, she makes enough money to take care of everything. But in her head, from all of the stuff that he's put in her head, that it was okay for him to be the, um, dependent on you because he took care of you guys while he was in the military. But that military stint, was a small piece of the time. And now we've over bypassed that, you know? And I think that is what allowed the frustration and anguish with you that allowed you to walk away last summer, to me. 